I was just thinking in my head, I was like, do we have national standards to thank for, for play? Yeah, well, maybe. maybe. Well, actually, that's not a silly thought, too, because I think whenever you restrain something in any system, when it becomes restrained, there's always people that push up against the boundaries. Just like in our, just like in our learning environments, there's kids that push up against the boundaries. Not every child will do that, and not every person will do that, but... We need those people. Mm. They're a pain in the rear end most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and they make, they make big messes and they ask difficult questions. But without them, where would we be? Without those kids in our learning communities, the ones that go after and can't let leave alone a topic, where would we be? Because we go on learning journeys with mm. them. And they pull everyone else in. So, yeah, pretty cool, eh? A Shared Curiosity, a podcast and community for parents and educators. Hear from pioneering educators who are taking risks and shaping the future of education. Kia ora koutou, ko Kate Toko Ingoa, and welcome to A Shared Curiosity. It really gives me great joy to introduce to you today Tara O'Neill. Tara is hugely respected and seen as a leader in the learning through play world. She created a Facebook group over five years ago called Learning Through Play, which now has over 10,000 followers of educators and teachers. It's seen as a real community learning hub where we can come together and learn from each other. She's currently a principal at a small school called Waitati Primary School, just out of Dunedin. What I loved about hearing her journey, how she started with play, where she's gone to, is it's a real unusual kind of journey. And at the heart of what she does, she's really fascinated in what is that journey, what is that learning journey within a learning through play environment. I really hope you enjoy it. Ka kite. Tēnā koutou katoa, um, ko Ruapihu tuku monga, ko Wanganui tuku um, awa, ko Ngāti Tama um, tuku iwi, uh, ko Putaki um, Timurai, ko Pete um, Taku Tane, ko Michaela Rawa, ko Josiah, ko Alice, ko Amber Aku Tamariki, ko Tara O'Neill Ahoe. Tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Awesome. Okay, well, I guess we'll start with the big hairy question of what got you into teaching. Well, when I was 17, in my final year of um, high school, Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a social worker and help people. And I went to the career advisor and said, this is what I want to do. And the person said to me, "Uh, well, no, don't do that. Become a teacher. (laughs) And then after you become a teacher, you can be a social worker. Uh, but my both my parents are teachers. I've got two sisters that are teachers, so it's kind of in my blood. So it was an easy decision, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and the irony of it is, is that now I feel like I am being a social worker. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a bit about how you feel like a social worker now? What does that look like? Uh, well, I feel like the um, the game's changed a bit, and um, we have a lot of children coming. Well, for the last 10 years anyway, I've noticed a lot of children coming um, that are unable to regulate um, themselves and they need to be um, shown and 
coached and supported to learn that skill of self-regulation. And a lot of the reading and the people that I talk to, um, there's a lot of things that influence that, like um, lack of play outside, um, being having your whole life organised for you, um, poverty, um, generational um, dysfunction, I guess. And you know what? In all of that. Just to make it clear, I've never met a parent that doesn't love their child. Mm. Everyone loves their kids deeply. It's just that sometimes we haven't, or people haven't learned those skills yet of parenting or uh, self-regulation themselves. It's actually my favourite part of teaching. Teaching those skills? Yes, teaching those skills. How do you teach those skills? What do you do? Well, um, two ways. Uh, through play. Mm-hmm. So um, in the play, play gives lots of opportunity to, for a teacher to get alongside um, a child and to look at what's happening and then say something which might be helpful. For instance, if they're having a fight over something, an item, you can moderate that. If you can see a child's getting really angry and frustrated, you can. Um, get in there quickly and help them to co-regulate so I find that's a really good skill to do in the play and the other way is to teach social and emotional skills explicitly Mm -hmm. in a group setting and all of that's based both of those models um, both of those things are based on a really strong relationship and trust Mm. and without that it wouldn't work And the thing that I've noticed is that um, it's not a miracle. Like it, it it's not like you can um, change over a short amount of time. It takes time to learn to regulate. And some children, it's like anything. Everyone's on their own learning journey. And some people, some kids, um, it takes time to learn those skills, just like uh, for some kids, they learn to read quicker than others. Some kids learn to regulate quicker than others. Where do the social skills fit in with developmental stages? Do you know much about that? Um, only what I've observed, and I think that um, the prefrontal cortex doesn't come on stream. Well, it comes on stream at different times for different kids. And I think that what I notice is that when kids dysregulate, they can't think Mm -hmm. and they go into their primal brain and it's either fight, flight, fight, flight, or freeze, Mm -hmm. mainly fight or flight. And and those are huge feelings. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I notice that some children really struggle with those feelings. And I think that... I think that they're trying to tell us something. Yeah. Yeah. That it's pretty painful for them. Yeah. What um, tools do you use? Are there any kind of things that kind of keep coming out? Uh, definitely the colours, like um, green or calm, yellow from getting a little bit more frazzled. And red for I'm really angry. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and we we at the moment at school we have a calm down room mm-hmm. or we call it a peace zone awesome. and we try and peace zone just a, a plain room with cushions blankets um a few things to squish uh and we're trying to um have a teacher in there to help children regulate sometimes and this is where it gets really tricky the kids need to co-regulate and we know that we kids do that you know a wee baby when they're upset the parent picks them up and rocks them and that's the same with some of our older kids too they still need that so a big thing is connection right I mean that that person that's in there must be crucial who that person is yeah absolutely yeah absolutely so going back into into I mean you talked about the self-regulation and you do that mainly through play what what got you on this journey of play how did you, you get introduced to it well I wasn't always um in favor of play actually um but when I was at Te Kiraka Area School in Gisborne um I noticed I had had one of those aha moments and I noticed that the children were only copying me and they didn't really have a deep understanding of the learning and this was around writing this is when I really I really stopped and have a, had a good think about it and I realized I realized that they didn't uh, understand the purpose of writing and they they didn't have uh, innate um, understanding of why they were doing it so I would take this wee lesson where they'd sit down in front of me and it was a struggle to get them to sit down in front of me. And then I'd model a sentence and then I'd have their books already with their pencils and they'd sit down and write it, write the sentence. And that was just what we were expected to do. Um, this, this was national standards days. And it was really tough because it was like they weren't even ready to do that really. Uh, and then we had all the behaviour come from that because they weren't ready to do that and so we'd have kids running this way and that way and it was really tricky so I had this aha moment where I realized what was happening and then I thought what am I going to do about it and the thought that popped into my head was play Mm. and so I don't know where it came from it just happened I guess I guess I should tell you a little bit about my my family history. I have my eldest daughter Michaela um, has autism, so from the time she was two and a half, she had um, she she had a lot of trouble regulating, and I didn't find out that she had autism until she was six. And along that journey, I've um, done the incredible years course as a parent and as a teacher, and so I think that some of that that that's about play as well. And some of that just triggered some ideas in my head because um, that's all to do with uh, social and emotional skills as well and coaching. Uh, so maybe that has something to do with it and maybe something because of my mum's a kindergarten teacher, okay. was a kindergarten teacher. And so I have a real uh, love for play. Mm. So um, I, I wrote this down to my principal and she said, you can start. Um, start a class um, in a different part of the building and give it a go and that's what I did I set up a room like a like a kindergarten so I had uh, a block corner um, had some loose parts I brought my lego from home stole it from the kids 
as you do. <laughs> uh, brought my poor son Josiah's train set into the classroom. <laughs> I think that's a uh, for a lot of teachers. <laughs> and yeah, I know we're all the same. And I went to, over to the preschool and and um, borrowed the oven and then bought a few pots. <laughs> Uh, found all the babies at home. <laughs> uh, there was a tree that had fallen down at school or been cut down, so I got them to cut that into slabs and put that outside. But the, but the concept of it couldn't have been further than what we were doing because the concept of it was, hey, kids, you choose what you're going to do, uh, but you've got to stay within this, this boundary. And it was good because it was like an alcove. So every day, that's what we had to do a lot of, is just walk around the boundaries. You're free to play within the boundaries. And then it was up to me um, and, and the other teachers too. Um, we, we didn't stop maths and writing straight away. Well, actually, maths and reading. We did, we did stop explicit writing for a bit. but. We kept that going, but we did a lot, lot of it was in play. Mm. And so I was, I didn't know what I was doing. Honestly, I didn't. And um, I didn't even know if it would work. Mm. And then I remember thinking, wow, look at them make this game up. How am I going to, I need to, I need to capture this somehow because this is really good because I could instantly see all the learning in it. That was like plain as in gold to me. And then I thought, oh, hang on, we did learning stories at kindergarten. So I'll just, I'll have a go at doing that. And I kind of looked it up online and saw the basic questions and then started to write. And it was through the writing that I, that, uh, that I learned a lot. And the thing that struck me was that before I was running around the place being a teacher and now I was stopping and observing and I was noticing and that honestly made so much difference because all of a sudden I saw these children that were incredible learners and I'd never seen that before because I was too busy taking a writing lesson or fixing up behavior. All right so I'm imagining you I don't know what year was this when you first started? I did write that down actually. Um, 2015. 2015. So it was kind of just when long lists were kicking in. Was actually, it, was yeah. It well, it was before that because I met, um, when I started up the Facebook page, I met Sarah online. That's where I first got to know her. So, in actually, um, I must have started it at the end of 2014 because in 2015 I went to an edu camp. Mm -hmm. um, in Palmerston North with um, my principal Karen Gray and um, I got brave because teachers are not that brave mm -hmm. and said that I would share about the journey that I was on and these people came to it and I shared about what the very basics of what I was doing and um, and then we were just kept talking and there was not enough time so I said oh I'll just start a Facebook page and we can talk on there and so that's what I did and I invited the few people that were there. And then, to my amazement, other people started to join. I didn't even know how they found it. And Sarah was one of them. And she was like, 
she, she we were able to talk and it was like oh my goodness there's other people there's a community <laughs> there's a community there's other people that are doing this and think it's a good idea and it was like I, I to this day it was so exciting so exciting and and I just learned so much from talking to people I just asked all these questions like how do you how do you cope with the mess yeah, how do you yeah how do you plan <laughs> do you teach reading <laughs> I'd just written down because I was imagining you as this lone wolf in this classroom doing all this innovative stuff oh. like what support was she getting oh no I did have um t- there were two teachers in a teacher aide mm-hmm. two teacher aides and maybe a dozen kids <laughs> that's pretty good yeah I know that's but pretty good you know that extent it's like you created your own support network with the Facebook page right I did yeah I I didn't mean to do it it was just an intuitive thing to do and it just seemed to work um and I started in August and by December there were 600 people how many people are there now over 11,000 <laughs> <laughs> yeah and every day there's people that are joining and it's just become this great resource of um of conversations that if you really want to know something you can search for it and find it so but but that whole concept of discovering something new because you know with national standards it was really a cookie cutter way of teaching mm. and that was never who I was I was always the person that would look at the kids and think oh you you want to learn about lights let's go and experience it that was who I was as a teacher intuitively but that had been taken away from me so this play brought back who I was as a teacher and every day was exciting and I began to really enjoy teaching again and I found it really worthwhile and then the community of learners was just just such a great way to grow I'm very, very, very lucky that I've had that experience and it's the best way to learn. Yeah, I don't know if luck's got anything to do with it because you've created it, like you've actively gone out there and made it. <laughs> I was just thinking in my head, I was like, do we have national standards to thank for, <laughs> for play? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> well, actually... That's not a silly thought too, because I think whenever you restrain something mm. in any system, when it becomes restrained, there's always people that push up against the boundaries. Mm. Just like in our just like in our learning environments, there's kids that push up against the boundaries. Not every child will do that, and not every person will do that. But we need those people. Mm. They're a pain in the rear end most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> and they make they make big messes and they ask difficult questions but without them where would we be without those kids in our learning communities the ones that go after and can't let leave alone a topic where would we be because we go on learning journeys with them and they pull everyone else in so yeah pretty cool eh and I, and I and I met Karen Davis I remember I remember reading her article about um, cont- um, yeah, down in Christ play, yeah. yeah, but 
I was in Tikaraka and she was in Christchurch. Mm. And, when, and when I met her online, it was like, oh, your article was the first research article I read about play. And it's like, oh. so cool. Me <laughs> so too. Funny. I found it. <laughs> I started emailing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how can I find out more? She replied. Yeah, yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah, she's awesome. She's really, really awesome. Yeah. And I guess that's what I want, like, now, um, this year, I'm assistant principal at Hayata Community Campus, and I've got the privilege of being able to be uh, coaching a team of 12 teachers, more than that, actually. But um, I want to be able to put them in a place where they're able to find those things out and where they're able to explore. I, I don't think I'm there now, but that's, that's a dream I'd love to do, mm-hmm. is help other people find their passion and find the excitement of teaching again you called them a pain in the rear end those Mm. those students that that push the boundary so basically you're wanting teachers to be a pain in the rear end yeah and how do you how do you ignite that i have a i have a i have a um (laughs) i have an idea about that and i think that it's about changing culture And what I found when I went to Hayata was that um, we had a very different curriculum. The eBot um, and the senior leaders had put together um, a very unique uh, student-led curriculum. And, And it was exciting, but what happened was that educators at Hayata it was hard. It was difficult. It's this change from being a teacher that's in control of a space or a single cell or a group of kids to one which works collaboratively and like with ako alongside the children and alongside other teachers. That's a huge change. That's a huge shift, and it's not easy. Mm. And it's and it's it's hard. It's it, there's so many uh, so much you've got to give up of your old identity as a teacher Mm. or what you may have thought a teacher was. Mm. You have to give that up and change your practice to walk alongside and to be a coach, a mentor, that kind of idea. Mm. I've talked about this with other people because I don't know if you're following the business world at the moment, but there's a equal kind of pathway that's happening in the business world at the moment where they're changing the culture of workforces and they're getting rid of uh, hierarchies and so everyone's kind of on this equal kind of learning platform (laughs) and because it's business you know they've figured out that if people are in these environments they work to the best of their ability they're creative they're innovative and they work really well and that eventuates into more money. <laughs> so, so that's being pushed really fast through the business industry with things like agile learning. So yeah. But to but to get there you 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 have to give up something. Mm. You can't keep doing all the stuff that you used to do. And so what happened at Hyata was um not the first year but the second year we um with the year one to threes, I was one of two team leaders, and we we um, set up um, a, a fully play based environment, and we really focused on getting a good quality environment 
and um, and and getting alongside the children and noticing the play and noticing the learning and play, but we couldn't do everything. We couldn't keep teaching reading the way we used to do it. Mm. We couldn't keep having maths groups. Um, we had we put a lot at Hayata, We we fifty percent of our teaching is around social and emotional and values and dispositions. Fifty percent would be academic. Both work together, but to do that, you you have to change the way you work as a team and think as a person. So that's what we did. And then the following year after that, that's when we we've started to add back in the explicit teaching through what we call literacy lab and inquiry lab. Um, so there there had to be a a disruption, I guess, mm. and and a, and a learning dip for sure. Yeah. A learning dip, but then it should it, it is um, accelerating out of that where it all starts to come back into balance. So uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So you're saying you kind of you got rid of your explicit acts of teaching, and then you kind of came back into introducing them kind of one at a time. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I think you know I talk to a lot of teachers about like and coaching teachers now using classroom phone. And a lot of them, you know, they they talk about, oh yeah, I've tried it and I got rid of everything, and um, and then they freak out, and they, you know, they're kind of like, oh, but then it's just free thing. What's my role kind of thing? Um, but you know, at long last, we we recommend this balance. But I haven't heard of anyone doing it that way before. What was that like? Um. It was really empowering, mm-hmm. and it was really amazing to be given the opportunity to do that as a team. Um, but it was really interesting to see the way teachers um, changed in their and uh, the way they viewed play. But then to realise that um, there are still things that we need to we, we can give to children, and I say it in that way because I think it's really important to always keep the child as um, is the focus, but we're not doing it to them. We're walking alongside them. So even if um, it's such a tricky skill to be able to take a play um, scenario and to know when to teach the explicit skill within that mm-hmm. and and when to leave it and let the child develop it, that's really tricky. And um, one of the ways that we got we decided that we'd do it as by introducing a lab, which, so we have foundation skills that the children, the, the Akonga work towards. And then, you know, when, when we see that they're ready to do the more formal literacy, then they go along to this literacy lab, but it's still self-directed. Mm-hmm. So it still honours the child and their ability to direct themselves and to be able to choose some things within that. So um, how it worked last year was they got to choose, um, they had their goals, so they had a reading goal and a writing goal and some sounds or words, sight words they needed to learn. And then the teachers were around the room and they got to choose which teacher they'd go to when they wanted to go there and which sound. So the onus is put back on them, Mm. which sound that they'd learn in this day. But the teachers were there to guide. And then um, 
and then they finished off with reading eggs on an iPad. Mm. So what about a question that you probably get asked all the time, what about those kids that aren't choosing? I mean, I've probably got my own answer to this question, but I'd be interested to see how, how you answer it. What are those kids who don't, don't choose and then they don't meet certain expectations or standards or whatever you want to them? Yep, there are those kids, absolutely. And often it's that they aren't ready in themselves to learn. And I guess that's where um, the system, it, it gets really tricky. That's where there's pressure from the system. So if I wasn't in the school system, I would do things differently. But because I'm in a school system, I have to encourage them or nudge them to come. Um, and sometimes it involves getting the parents to come in and sit with them. And, um, yeah, and, but teach, but as a teacher, there, there's still ways of um, encouraging kids and just saying, look, this is really important. It's really important now that you actually get on this journey and that you start and you do this, um, blah, 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 because mm -hmm. of all these reasons. Um, if it was up to me and I was running my own school without having the pressure of um, results, then I would allow them to wait mm -hmm. and to work through their emotions and the reasons they don't want to do that until they were ready. And then I'd be there right next to them when they were ready to start to support them. Mm -hmm. or or finding more ways within the play environment to help and support them. But because we're in a school system, we have a lot of children and not so much, so not so many teachers. <laughs> um, so I guess that's why Literacy Lab came in. So the thing is, if we had more adults within the play, then we probably wouldn't need a lab. But because we have to work within a system with certain ratios, certain expectations, then this is just the way that we've thought of doing it. So you've got the continuum where you've got um, free play on one end and explicit teaching on the other. Mm -hmm. And then the, that lovely box in the middle where it's the enabling environment and the focused learning or the playful learning from a teacher. Mm -hmm. And it's being able to work that continuum and no uh, offer different experiences along that for the children so that they can um, make choices and the adults can make choices too and support them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's just, I was thinking about your journey philosophically and your pedagogy, like it's evolved like quite drastically. <laughs> yeah, it has, it has definitely. Um, actually, probably I've ended back up at the same point where I started in a way. I'm confused, can you talk about that? Well, when I started, I let them play, but I still taught reading and maths. But then I let it go slowly, and I got confident in the, in the play to mm -hmm. support that. But within the system that I work in, I've had to come round to accepting that some of the reading, writing and maths needs to be taught or delivered in an explicit manner mm. to support the play. So the sounds, for instance, in our, at, at our school, we, we, it's good for us to teach some sounds. Mm. Yeah. 
um, in a playful manner and it's good for us to teach um, to show the children uh, to support them in writing um, and this year we've got a block of um, maths where we teach it explicitly as well whereas we didn't have that before so that's been a real journey yeah definitely you've done it in quite a unique way is that was that through like thinking about it now how does it feel now was that the right way was it the wrong way would you do it differently oh no it was great i've had such a good time i've loved my teaching over the last nine years it's been amazing it's just a journey and you know I teach with amazing people such amazing people and I've grown collaboratively so much because it's not actually about me it's about what we do as a team mm -hmm. we make decisions as a team and that's um, it's that whole thing about you can have an idea and I can have an idea but together the idea we end up with is the best one mm. and that's kind of how it's worked I didn't come up with a literacy lab on my own. We did it in a in a discussion. Um, the learning design, the way that we've ended up and what we've ended up with has been done collaboratively with a lot of people. What a learning journey. I'm, I'm curious to ask you about what do you think teacher training should look like for teachers who are going into a play environment? Have you thought about that before? Yeah, I think it's I think it's definitely a key. I think they should be free to uh, notice children, uh, do a lot of noticing, do a lot of observing, mm -hmm. and then once they've observed some stuff, develop some ideas, some provocation, some way that they can take that child or that group of children on a learning journey. So there's there's often in a group of children some real leaders within that and they have these amazing ideas so when I, I i one of my favorite ones was when i was at tikaraka and this wee boy had this idea of building a tree house and so uh he um he he drew the house um he built a he built a drawer for the house the tree house then we took the whole um, the whole of the foundation group into Bunnings and we looked at the wood and we wrote down how much the wood cost and we did a wee activity there. Mm -hmm. And then we went to, we wrote a, he wrote a letter to, or we wrote a letter to the Board of Trustees and we asked if we could build the tree house. Fortunately, they had money. So we engaged builders and he got to talk to the builders and then he got to see it was built. And then he got to open it and cut the ribbon, and then he got to play in it. Yeah. And I think I think that's the richness of play. It's like it's a journey that you go on together as a community. It's about collaborating together, and that's the skill of a teacher. So I think teachers that are learning, if you if you were to say rock on up and say, okay, class, we're going to build a tree hut today. <laughs> You know, it's like, <laughs> there's, no, there's no starting point in that. But when you have someone that starts, like someone that might bring a, a caterpillar along, mm -hmm. or someone might bring a seed along, or someone might have um, play a game, you've got a starting point. So I think beginning teachers need to learn to look for that starting point 
and learn how to take a group of children or learners along the way and 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 try it out. Because what I noticed at Hayata with our older learners, so we have up to year 13, is that they go on learning journeys. They call them inquiries, yeah. but they're learning, they're learning journeys. And some of them have, uh, are now running businesses. So we have a laser cutter and we have one, one uh, girl who makes uh, earrings and little boxes and she's got a website and she's selling them and she's making money. So the beginning of a five-year-old having empowerment of the, over their learning and going on learning journeys ends up as a, as a 16, 17, 18-year-old with a business, which is beautiful. But it's the same thing, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to know more about Tara, check out the show notes, and I'll add a link to the Facebook group there. And if you want to know anything more about play, learning through play, or anything we discuss in these podcasts, check out the What's On tab on the website for courses and training, www.ashedcuriosity.com. Kia ora.